All right, today we're going to do something a little bit different, something I've never done in 40 years of the pastorate, and that's to preach a sermon on the character of Joseph. Of course, every year, most pastors will preach something along these lines of the Christmas narratives. Joseph is always included in them, but when you put all the narratives of Christ's birth and childhood together, you begin to see the importance of the role that Joseph played in the life of the Son of God. The importance of fathers in families has greatly diminished in my lifetime. My wife read an article last week that stated only 18% of family units with children in the United States are considered traditional. That means a man and a woman who are married to each other with at least one child under the same roof. So it's no wonder that our nation is falling apart today. Many men mistreat women. Many women don't think they need a man to head their family. And of course, the children bear the brunt of any dysfunction. But this is not the way it was when God selected the family in which his divine son would be raised. We observed last time the faith, humility, and obedience of Joseph's espoused wife, Mary. The Lord selected her to be the vessel in which his son would enter the world. And she humbly accepted that role, saying, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. But what kind of a husband and father uh, would, uh, would it be that would bear the responsibility of raising this holy child? What kind of man should he be? Uh, what quality should be manifest in his life that God could trust to raise his divine son in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? I don't know when the great sense of responsibility hit you as a parent, but it certainly impacted me when I learned of the conception of our first child. And of course, how much more would this have hit Joseph when he learned his wife was to be with child, not of his making, yet within the perfect will of God. So let's discover some truths about Joseph that may impress us and teach us how we can follow the Lord more closely today. Heavenly Father, we are thankful again for your word, for the characters that we find in it that are examples to us of either what is good and, or what is uh, not good, uh, who follows the Lord, who does not follow the Lord. And we're thankful, Lord, for the narratives that describe to us a little bit about Joseph, whom you selected to be the adoptive father of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we study that character, Lord, we pray, Lord, through your Holy Spirit and your power, we might follow that example in various ways. And again, we're thankful that through Joseph and Mary, the Lord Jesus had a strong foundation to grow up in every way uh, that he should as a young man and then, of course, in his ministry as the Son of God. Bless our study, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. 
the gospel narratives of, of Joseph show us four major incidents connecting his life with that of the child Jesus. And we're going to approach these in an approximate chronological order and draw from them some character traits of Joseph that we can relate to today. And the first one we read this morning from chapter 1 of Matthew, beginning at verse 18. Perhaps this is the most familiar one to us. And the first thing I want us to note is the genealogy of Joseph, the lineage of Joseph. When the angel came with his announcement to Joseph, he addressed him as son of David. And you read the whole rest of the New Testament, you do not find that title given to anyone else except for the Lord Jesus Christ. So Matthew's pointing out here the kingly heritage of Joseph, which is very important to the lineage of God's divine son. And the first 17 verses, which we did not read this morning, trace that background, that genealogy of of Joseph going all the way back to King David and beyond. So that establishes that even the adoptive son of Joseph would have been considered a member of the Davidic line and be able to fulfill all the prophecies associated with the eternal death dynasty of that line. Now, verse 16, if you'll back up just a little bit in in the narrative, also gives us an important connection to uh, history, the Old Testament, all the way back to Genesis. And we're told in verse 16, Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. And you'll notice there, the term of whom does not connect with Joseph. It does not grammatically connect with Joseph, only with Mary. So Mary is the one through whom the Lord Jesus came. Joseph is the espoused husband, but it is not his seed that's being spoken of here. It's through Mary, the woman. Now, in our study of Genesis, you remember going back to chapter 3, a prophecy was given to Eve about a woman's seed, her seed, And this is what this connects to. It goes back to the fulfillment of the seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent, Satan. And Jesus did not come into the world through the seed of man, but by the power of the Holy Spirit through a woman. So that prophecy is being fulfilled here. Now, with that in mind, of course, that's very important because that establishes Jesus as the, uh, the one spoken of in Genesis 3.15, the first mention of the gospel in the Bible, and also that he is a son of David. He is of the kingly line, which Messiah must be. Now, as we continue with the story of the announcement to Joseph, we find that Joseph does the right thing in an extremely difficult situation. And verse 18, we see his predicament. And we really kind of see at first some bad news. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. 
Now, if you don't know everything we know because we have the word of God now, and all this is going on, you can imagine what's going through the mind of Joseph. They have been betrothed, which is as strong as being married in that culture. But before they come together and she moves in to his home with him as his wife, she is found with child. And one reason there was this long period of time, this one-year betrothal period, was to test the faithfulness and the purity of the couple who were maritally bound. Now remember that at this point, Mary has been away for three months visiting her relative Elizabeth. She comes back and it's found, it's discovered that she's with child. Now she made that announcement to Elizabeth. We don't know if she made it to anybody else. We don't know if she even made it to Joseph. And it wouldn't be very long before she would begin to show, it would be obvious that she was uh, with child. And we're not sure exactly uh, when Joseph discovered this. Because in those days, it's, it's not like today where you become engaged to somebody, you go on dates, you spend a lot of time together. Back then, they hardly spent any time together because the marriage was arranged. So we're not sure if Joseph found out from Mary, if he found out uh, through uh, gossip, uh, if he found out through her appearance, or if she told him. We are, we're not exactly sure, but what we do know is that it started him thinking, uh, and he's taking things the way we normally would in a situation of that nature. Uh, so Joseph has to come up with some kind of solution. And we find this in verse 19. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and incidentally, remember that at this point of time, he he doesn't know the child is of the Holy Spirit. That has not been divulged to him. So we're, we're kind of thinking maybe Mary hasn't been involved in this to this point. Now again, man, if you were in Joseph's sandals, so to speak, What would you have done? What would you be thinking? Joseph assumes Mary has been unfaithful, and now he has to figure out what to do in the situation. Most men would probably be extremely angry and hurt. They might even want to find out who the person involved was and beat him to a pulp. But he didn't uh, have the advantage that we do of everything that's going on. He had to work this out from the situation. Now we're told here in verse 19 that he is her husband. That's the way it would have been viewed in those days, even though they were betrothed. And it goes on to say, he is a just man. He is a righteous man. So that means that he was living in right standing to God because he believed in the Lord, he worshiped the Lord, we're going to find out he obeyed the Lord at every point. And in this difficult situation, he wants to do the right thing, even though at first he thought Mary did the absolute wrong thing. Now, he did not want to make of her a public example, a public spectacle, um, He didn't want to humiliate her any more than perhaps the gossip going around already had. 
He could have made a formal charge. And by the law in the Old Testament, if you committed this kind of sin, you could be stoned to death. Of course, in that day, uh, that was very seldom, if ever, carried out. So he decides the best route is to put her away privately or secretly. And that means he has to break the marriage relationship by a divorce. And he wanted to make that as inobtrusive as possible. And although he was, I'm sure, disappointed, he was hurt, he did not lash out in anger or vengeance. He still treated Mary in a compassionate way. So Joseph is a man concerned about doing the right thing in a very difficult situation. He wants to obey the law, yet he still wants to protect Mary as much as he can and be compassionate toward her. So he wants to do the right thing in the right way with the right attitude, even though it's really hard. Now, as the story proceeds here, uh, we see that there's some really good news. And that's the Lord's revelation to Joseph as he's pondering this and figuring it out in his own mind. It says in verse 20, But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Now, I don't know about you, but if that had been me, you might have spent some nights not sleeping very well. And it says while he's thinking about this and pondering it, he, uh, the Lord comes to him in a dream. So maybe after he finally falls asleep, the Lord comes to him and gives him this direct revelation. And this is the first of four times God will come to him and reveal his will through a dream. And really at that time, there's no other way God could have done this except for perhaps maybe a prophet But there weren't really any prophets around at this time either until John the Baptist shows up on the scene. So what does the Lord tell him through an angel in this dream? Well, he says, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. So uh, she hasn't been unfaithful to him after all. Her conception has been a miraculous one, uh, according to the mighty, wondrous working of the Holy Spirit as he weaved the Son of God in the womb of Mary. He's told that she will bear a son, and he is to be named Jesus. And as we found last week, that name means Yahweh saves, or Yahweh is salvation. And, of course, it was kind of a common name back then. But for Jesus, it was a unique and significant name because, as we find here, it means he will save his people from their sins. And this is the one who's really going to fulfill the meaning of that name. Now, furthermore, this is in fulfillment of prophecy. And we'll find that each of Joseph's dreams or each of his actions is actually associated with the fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy or associated in some way with obedience to the law of God. Now, in this case, 
Matthew makes sure that the readers know this is connected to an Old Testament prophecy, <coughs> excuse me, which we find in verse 23. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Now that goes back to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. It was actually a prophecy given to King Ahaz at a time when Israel was under threat of attack, but Ahaz wouldn't believe the prophet. And so the prophet says, uh, there's going to be a young woman who's... Uh, uh, not yet married, she's still a virgin, she's going to have a child. By the child, time that child's old enough uh, to understand right from wrong, Israel's going to be judged. But the name Emmanuel was not given to that child. So something else was indicated here, and now it's being completely fulfilled in the days of Jesus in his birth, and he is called Emmanuel, which means God with us. So Jesus becomes the God-man, Emmanuel, in order to redeem his people from their sins. We find then that Joseph immediately obeys uh, what the uh, angel told him based on that information. Verse 24, then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife, and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. So, I would imagine that as soon as they possibly could, the public ceremony was completed. She moves in with uh, her husband, and uh, he, he is obedient to the angelic message. But it's noted here in verse 25, they did not have conjugal relationships until after Jesus is born. And again, that uh, suggests to us their moral purity and also would remove any kind of misconceptions about Joseph being the natural father of Jesus. People might make wrong assumptions, but the reader knows, we know, that all of this was according to God's will and purpose. And once again, we see something here of Joseph's character when we think about it, because he was willing to forfeit or forfeit his reputation in a similar way as Mary in order to accomplish the will of God. The unbelieving people of Nazareth would always assume the worst about this couple, even though neither of them have done anything wrong. And sometimes uh, our reputation may be at stake, but we have to follow what God says we ought to do. Now, this leads us to a narrative we did not read earlier over in Luke chapter 2. And we want to note here from what Luke informs us that um, Joseph's dedication of Jesus to the way of God is quite apparent. So we see his spiritual leadership in that home. He took the responsibility of leading his family in proper worship of the Lord. And this is first indicated 
Luke chapter 2 and verse 21. And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. All right, so according to the law, eight days after a son was born, he was to be taken to a priest and go through the rite of circumcision. That brought him into the covenant relationship with God from the Old Testament worship viewpoint. And that's when Jesus' name uh, was officially given, publicly given, in obedience to the angelic command. And Joseph then is taking upon himself through this action the stewardship of Jesus as his son, and he will fulfill his duties as the adoptive father. Now, the second act of obedience to the law occurs a few weeks later, down in verse 22. Now, when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. So we assume that they're still in Bethlehem, uh, very close to Jerusalem, close to the temple, And the days of her purification for a male child that would make it possible for her to worship publicly would be 33 days after uh, the rite of circumcision. So they're following the dictates of the Old Testament law. They're bringing him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. And verse 23 says, "...as it is written in the law of the Lord..." Every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. So the firstborn male belonged to the Lord, and uh, you paid um, a price to redeem that child uh, from the Lord, so you would be raising him up. But in this case, of course, the Lord Jesus was the actual son of God. So they're obeying the law every step of the way. And as they do this, they're required to bring an offering for the cleansing, the atonement of the family, as verse 24 says. Okay, offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. We find something else about Joseph here. We find out he's a poor man. He's not well off. Normally, you were to bring a lamb, but if you were not able to afford a lamb or you couldn't spare a lamb for your family uh, legitimately, then you are allowed to bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons. And so this is what they brought, and this is what they offered to the Lord for their atonement, uh, one serving as a burnt offering, the other as a sin offering. So everything that they're doing to this point is showing they respect the Lord, they worship the Lord because they're obeying the commands according to the Old Testament ways of worship. Now, if you go over to verse um, 39 to 42, we see another example of this. And incidentally, it's interesting as they bring this sacrifice to the Lord, Uh, At this point, they have no cognition that their son, their child will grow up to be the one who provides permanent redemption 
as he offers himself to God for our salvation. Now, we see that Joseph is consistent in this spiritual leadership. This, this is in the first couple of months of Jesus' life. <clears throat> but what happens as time moves forward? Well, let's look over at verse 39. So, when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they were obedient. They returned to Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. Now, there's a gap here in this verse that Luke does not cover, which we saw back in Matthew. We'll look at that in a little bit here. But uh, there's a time span that they go down into Egypt, and then they go back to, to um, uh, Nazareth. So Luke doesn't deal with that. He simply states that they were obedient to the law, they were worshiping God the way God prescribed. And when all this was uh, passes by, they go back to Nazareth. And verse 40 says, The child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. <clears throat> and then if you'll note the last verse of this chapter, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. So as he's growing up, Joseph is establishing a home where his son can grow in every way to be pleasing to the Lord. And another example of this is in verse 41. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover, the most important feast in the Jewish calendar. They went up every year. That would have been costly for a poor family, they had to go all the way around Samaria. You didn't go through Samaria. So it would take them a couple of days of travel to get there, a couple of days to get back. The feast was seven days long. So you're talking about a couple of weeks where there's no income. But Joseph, being a man who wanted to spiritually lead his people in obedience to God's word, brought them every year. And then, of course, you have that story of what happened on the 12th year of the Lord Jesus' life, and again, showing that he was a wise young man, a man who knew the scriptures. And so we see here that, that uh, his father is diligent to bring him up in the ways of God. He taught him a trade, carpentry. He took him to synagogue. He may well have taught him scriptures as he's growing up in his household, and as a diligent father, he took him down to the temple every year at the required times. So in these ways, Joseph demonstrated his devotion to the Lord through his obedience to his word. He led his family in the proper way of worship. He laid a foundation upon which his divine son would grow in every way. Now, let's go back to Matthew as we wrap up these stories about Joseph. And here we have recorded for us what we call the flight to Egypt and then the return, uh, the final return to Galilee. Uh, Galilee. So look, if you will, to Matthew chapter 2, verse 13. Now, this is right after the wise men have come. They have been warned also in a dream to go home a different way because uh, uh, Herod uh, wants to deal with them, and they depart to their country. 
So that's where we're at, verse 13. Now when they, the Magi, had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. All right, so sometime after these incidents occur, Jesus being presented at the temple, the Magi returning back to the east, an angel comes and he warns Joseph about Herod's evil plan. So this is the second dream in which God communicates his will to Joseph, and he gives him three commands here in these verses. Take the young child, flee to Egypt, stay there. And the verb uh, tense of, of the first verb, take, is one that conveys urgency. You need to do this now. So Joseph is to flee Bethlehem. He's to go down into Egypt. He's to stay there until God tells him to come back because Herod determines to wipe out all the infants in Bethlehem so he can secure his future throne and remove any contenders to it. And he was ruthless in those types of endeavors. So here we see a couple more qualities about Joseph. First of all, he rises up and he protects his family in time of danger and stress. Well, again, imagine how you would feel in similar straits. You receive a stark warning in the middle of the night, and you've got to take immediate and serious action. Years ago, our daughter Jennifer came into our bedroom one night, uh, and she woke me up, and she said, Hey, Dad, uh, should there be so much smoke in the house? (laughs) And boy, I woke up fast, and I ran downstairs really quickly, Uh, I had laid some logs on the fire down there to dry them out, but unfortunately, one of them caught fire. Of course, there's smoke all over the house. I threw them outdoors, and of course, everybody was safe. But that's how quickly Joseph responded to what the angel told him in this time of imminent danger. He lost no time in gathering up their belongings and heading south. It also shows us, again, Joseph's immediate obedience to God's word. When the Lord first came to Joseph, he listened, he obeyed. He did so in response to the annunciation of Christ's birth. He did so in response to God's directions for worship. And he does so after the Lord warns him about what Herod's up to. And he doesn't even wait until uh, the morning Uh, to do this, verse 14, when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt. They didn't even wait for uh, the morning. They got out of there as they should have, and they stayed there until uh, the death of Herod. So all along the way, he is obeying God immediately. Now, from this point, They are going to eventually get back home. The rest of the story has to do with the return to Nazareth. Now, in verse 20, the Lord speaks to him again. By this time, Herod has died. Herod died in 4 BC. 
According to Josephus, uh, Josephus, it was a very um, Difficult death, death, I guess I could say, and well-deserving one, painful one. Uh, but but uh, the angel of the Lord comes again to tell Joseph, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the young child's life are dead. Again he obeys. He arose, took the young child, his mother, and came into the land of Israel. Now we're assuming that he came back to Judea, to Bethlehem, and perhaps wanted to settle down there. But you'll note, it says in verse 22, he heard that Archelaus, who was the son of Herod, was reigning in Judea instead of his father. And when he found that out, he was afraid to go there. He didn't want to settle there. Now, Archelaus was just as bad, if not worse, than his father Herod. He was a very poor ruler, a very cruel ruler, and uh, he was so inept at ruling that in 6 AD, Caesar removed him from his position. But of course, uh, the reason that Joseph wants to leave is because he knows what kind of man this is. And again, the Lord warns him, in a dream, to uh, go to Galilee. And that's right back where we started. That's where the announcement to Mary was. It was while she was in Galilee. So we've kind of gone full circle here. and may have been a couple of years before all this transpired. And we kind of wonder, perhaps, well, he goes back to Galilee, but why would he go back to Nazareth? Uh, Nazareth, we found out, wasn't the the greatest town in the world. Uh, It was looked down upon by other people. It was despised. People there would have known Mary, would have known Joseph, would have known the circumstances, so why go back there? Well, it seems to have something to do with Old Testament prophecy. Verse 23. And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called the Nazarene. Now, the only problem with that phrase, and incidentally, not by a prophet, but the prophets in general, is we go back to the Old Testament, we can't find a direct uh, verse that says this, he shall be a Nazarene. doesn't mean a Nazarite. doesn't take a Nazarite vow. It means he's going to be from the city of Nazareth. Well, how do we, uh, how do we uh, make that uh, uh, agree with what we see here if there's no real prophecy we can draw this from? Well, first of all, <clears throat> it's clear from the prophets that the Messiah is going to be despised and rejected of men. And so in that sense, thinking about what Nazareth was like, it's really a fulfillment of prophecy, figuratively speaking. The town of Nazareth was a despised place. We learned that last time. The people of that place were probably looking down on Mary and Joseph. Later, they're going to reject Jesus. They're going to be among those who despise him. So it could be alluding to how people will receive the Lord Jesus. 
And also, the root meaning of the term Nazareth is netzer, from which, uh, or which means a shoot or a branch. And the idea uh, that comes from that is that out of a small, seemingly worthless shoot, something great will come. And both of these ideas would be applicable to Christ and foreshadowed in the lives of his earthly parents. As we said, Nazareth is a despised place. Mary and Joseph may have been despised by the people of that town who don't believe. And as such, they become then a portrait of the shame and the reproach that their son, Jesus Christ, would bear on the cross in order to save us from our sins. So that's likely what uh, is intended here by Matthew when he says he'll be viewed, called a Nazarene, he'll be despised and rejected by people. So in Joseph, in all these different stories, we see many admirable and godly qualities. So let's close by considering them. First of all, we see a man who did right in a very difficult situation. A lot of times we're going to be faced with similar decisions. You might think that there's no real good solution to what we're doing. But if we determine by God's grace to do what is right according to his word, God will bless that and God will help us through it. He also was a man who was willing to face loss of respect and reputation in order to do the will of God, just like Mary was. And this is beginning to happen in our society as the Christian faith is constantly being marginalized. More and more, it is possibly going to be that Christians are not very well uh, respected. We also saw that he was a man who took his role of spiritual leadership in the family very seriously. So as husbands, as fathers, are we acting as spiritual leaders in our homes? And then finally, uh, Joseph was a man willing to bear the reproach and shame of sins he did not commit to cooperate with the program of God. And in doing that, he was bearing just a little bit of what his adoptive son would bear for him in the future, having committed no sins at all, yet willing to pay the price of all of our sins for all time. Are we willing to bear that same kind of reproach and shame in our testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ? So let's thank God for Joseph this morning. Heavenly Father, we are thankful once again for the revelation of your word. We don't really often think about Joseph outside of uh, uh, the attachment to the birth stories of Christ. But Lord, we see here he was really a good man, a man you could use to be the adoptive father of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray, Lord, you'd help us today to emulate him in these ways we've described. Help us, Lord, to stand up for what's right, even though it's hard. 
Help us, Lord, to lead our families in a way that uh, they can grow in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, help us to bear the reproach and the shame of Christ as we're called upon to do so in the generation in which we live. Lord, we just pray you bless us with your thoughts today. Help us to be obedient to your will as he was as well. We ask in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.